All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing in the confessional corner with you this week, finishing up our discussion of the righteousness of faith before God, our righteousness apart from the works of the law, especially this week looking at the exclusive terms. As we pick up in paragraph 36 of the Solid Declaration, Article 3, we are on page 542 in the Concordia, the reader's edition of the Lutheran Confessions. This is what the Apostle Paul means when he urges so diligently and zealously the exclusive terms in this article of faith, that is, the words by which works are excluded from the article of justification, by grace, without merit, without works, not of works. These exclusives are all summed up in this expression, through faith alone in Christ we are justified before God and saved, Romans 3.28, for thereby works are excluded. This does not mean that a true faith can exist without contrition, or that good works should, must, and dare not follow true faith as sure and undoubtable fruit. It does not mean that believers dare not or must not do anything good, but good works are excluded from the article of justification before God because they must not be drawn into, woven into, or mixed with the act of justifying poor sinners before God. They are not necessary. They do not belong to this act. The true sense of the exclusive terms in the article of justification comes from the following, which should also be taught in this article with all diligence and seriousness. So now we have three big points that the concordists want to make. Number one, through these terms, all our own works, merit, worthiness, glory, and confidence in all our works are entirely excluded from the article of justification. So our works shall not stand or be regarded as the cause or the merit of justification, not entirely, not half, not in the least part upon which God could or ought to look. We cannot rely on our works in this action and article. Number two, this remains the office and property of faith alone. It alone and nothing else is the means or instrument with and through which God's grace and Christ's merit and the gospel promise are received, apprehended, accepted, applied to us, and appropriated. Love and all other virtues or works are excluded from this office and property of such application or appropriation. Number three, neither renewal, sanctification, virtues, nor good works are at all a form, part, or cause of justification, that is, our righteousness before God. They are not to stand or be set up as part of or cause of our righteousness. They are not to be mixed into the article of justification under any pretext, title, or name, whatever, as though they are necessary and belong to justification. The righteousness of faith stands alone in the forgiveness of sins out of pure grace for the sake of Christ's merit alone. These blessings are brought to us in the gospel promise and are received, accepted, applied, appropriated through faith alone. In the same way, the order between faith and good works must remain and be maintained, just as the order between justification and renewal or sanctification must be maintained. So now we have these three things that must be taught with all diligence and seriousness. That none of our works go into our justification. None of our works are a cause for our salvation. Not entirely, not halfway, not even in the slightest, idiest, bittiest bit. None of it is what God should look upon for a cause for our salvation. Because, number two, salvation, justification, our righteousness is the office and property of faith alone. 
Faith is the only instrument that is able to give us the justification of our soul, the forgiveness of our sins. It is only through faith that we can receive, apprehend, accept, apply, or appropriate God's righteousness in our lives. And then number three, the righteousness of faith stands alone in the forgiveness of sins out of pure grace for the sake of Christ's merit alone. These blessings are brought to us in the gospel promise and are received, accepted, applied, and appropriated through faith alone. Our works have nothing to do with why we are righteous. Our good works, our virtues, our love, everything that is a fruit of that justification is simply proof of that justification being in our lives. As we continue on in paragraph 41. Good works do not come before faith, neither does sanctification come before justification. First, in conversion, faith is kindled in us by the Holy Spirit from the hearing of the gospel. Faith lays hold of God's grace in Christ by which the person is justified. Then when the person is justified, he is also renewed and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. From this renewal and sanctification, the fruit of good works then follow. This should not be understood as though justification and renewal were separated from one another in such a way that a genuine faith sometimes could exist and continue for a time with evil intention. Only the order of causes and effects of antecedents and consequence is indicated how one comes first or follows the other. What Luther has correctly said remains true. Faith and good works well agree and fit together, but it is faith alone without works that lays hold of the blessing. Yet it is never, ever alone. This has been set forth above. Good works do not come before faith. Faith comes to us through the Holy Spirit, through the hearing of the gospel, the receiving of the promise, and then the good works follow. They are not to be mixed together in justification, but they cannot be separated in the life of the Christian. And again, this is where we get all kinds of bothersome things in American Christianity especially, is that we have people who want to prove, and this is where we have the supposed uh, distinction and argument between Paul and James, is that Paul says we are saved by faith alone, and James says, no, we are saved by our works. It's like, no, it's not what James is saying at all. James is showing that we cannot just say we have faith and not do anything. Faith brings about works. Faith produces works. They are to be connected together, but they have to be done in the proper order, that faith always comes before the good works. And I've already said basically what is in paragraphs 42 and 43, so I will read them very quickly. Many disputes are usefully explained well by this true distinction. The Apology shows this in reference to James 2, 20 and 24. For when we speak of faith and how it justifies, we refer to the doctrine of St. Paul, that faith alone without works justifies, Romans 3, 28. This is because faith alone applies and makes Christ merit our own, as has been said. But if the question is about where and how a Christian can see and distinguish, either in himself or in others, a true living faith from a false and dead faith, that is a different matter. Many useless, secure Christians dream up a delusion for themselves in place of faith, even though they have no true faith. 
The apology gives this answer. James calls that a dead faith where good works and fruit of the Spirit of every kind do not follow. And to this effect, the Latin edition of the Apology says, St. James teaches correctly when he denies that we are justified by a faith that lacks works, which is a dead faith. James speaks, as the Apology says, about the works of those who have already been justified through Christ, reconciled with God, and received forgiveness of sins through Christ. If the question is about how faith has this result and what belongs to faith so that it justifies and saves, it is false and incorrect to say that faith cannot justify without works, or faith justifies or makes righteous if it has love with it, or for the sake of which love justification is ascribed to faith, or the presence of works with faith is necessary if a person is to be justified by faith before God, or the presence of good works in the article of justification or of ju for justification is needful, so that good works are a cause without which a person cannot be justified, and that they are not really excluded from the article of justification by the exclusive terms without works. For faith makes righteous only because, as an instrument and means, it lays hold of and accepts God's grace and Christ's merit and the gospel promise. So we say, let this be enough, according to the plan of this document, as a summary explanation of the doctrine of justification by faith. For this is described at length in the above-mentioned writings. From these, the antitheses, that is, the false contrary doctrines, also are clear. In other words, in addition to the errors listed above, the following and similar errors must be rebuked, exposed, and rejected, since they conflict with the explanation now published. As when this is taught, one, our love or good works are a merit or cause of justification before God, either entirely or at least in part. Two, or by good works, a person must make himself worthy and fit so that Christ's merit may be given to him. Three, our real righteousness before God is the love or renewal the Holy Spirit works in us and which is in us. Four, or two things or parts belong to the righteousness of faith before God. A, the gracious forgiveness of sins, and then B, renewal or sanctification. Five, faith justifies only initially, either in part or primarily, and that our newness or love justifies even before God, either completely or secondarily. Six, believers are justified before God or are righteous before God, both by credit and by beginning to act righteous at the same time, or partly by the credit of Christ's righteousness and partly by the beginning of new obedience. 7. The application of the promise of grace happens both by faith of the heart and confession of the mouth, and also by other virtues. This means that faith makes righteous for this reason alone, that righteousness is begun in us by faith, or in this way that faith takes the first step in justification. Nevertheless, renewal and love also belong to our righteousness before God. However, love belongs in such a way that it is not the chief cause of our righteousness. But our righteousness before God is not entire and complete without such love and renewal. Likewise, believers are justified and righteous before God at the same time by the righteousness given by Christ and the initial new obedience, or in part by the crediting of Christ's righteousness and in part by beginning new obedience. Likewise, the promise of grace is gained for us by faith in the heart and confession made with the mouth and by other virtues. This is incorrect. A person must be saved in some other way or through something other than justification before God. So we are indeed justified before God through faith alone without works, but it is impossible to be saved without works or obtain salvation without works. This is false because it is directly opposed to the declaration of Paul. Blessed is the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, Romans 4, 6. Paul's reason is that we receive both salvation and righteousness in one and the same way. 
In fact, when we are justified through faith, we receive adoption at the same time and are made heirs of eternal life and salvation. For this reason, Paul uses and emphasizes the exclusive terms, that is, those words by which works and our own merits are entirely excluded. He uses by grace, apart from works, as forcibly in the article about salvation as in the article about righteousness. Okay, so here are the negative statements, the things that we have not only stated somewhat before, but also must now also take into account the errors that come about in the misunderstanding of the righteousness of faith before God. And you ask, where do some of these things come from? Well, they actually come from a misunderstanding of scriptures. And part of this comes about from a misunderstanding of the beginning of Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 1 through 6. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And the Latin, this is fides formata carite, faith formed by love. And this is where we have the issue coming in, is that we have Paul talking about faith being formed by love. And, well, in one case, yes, it is that way, in that our expression of faith, our vision that people see of us and our faith is shown by our love. Our lack of faith is shown by our lack of love. That is what Paul is talking about here, that those who are accepting the idea of circumcision, trying to make themselves Jews before they become Christians, are saying, no, you, you've completely taken away Christ because you are pointing to your circumcision as part of your being righteous before God. And that's never been the case. Circumcision has never made anybody righteous. And we've talked about that with Abraham through uh, Romans chapter 4 throughout these last two weeks, is that Abraham was not considered righteous because he got circumcised in Genesis 17. He was declared righteous in Genesis 15, long before God ever told him about circumcision. Because righteousness before God is apart from works. It has nothing to do with your works as a cause but they are definitely, the works are caused by your righteousness. And so let's look at what our righteousness is. And that is the rest of this article this week, starting in paragraph 54. The dispute about God's essential righteousness dwelling in us must also be correctly explained. In the elect, those who are justified by Christ and reconciled with God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the eternal and essential righteousness, dwells by faith. For all Christians are temples of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who also moves them to do right. 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17. Yet, this indwelling of God is not the righteousness of faith St. Paul describes, and that he calls God's righteousness for the sake of which we are declared righteous before God. But it comes after the righteousness of faith, which is nothing else than the forgiveness of sins and the gracious adoption of the poor sinner for the sake of Christ's obedience and merit alone. 
So God's indwelling of you is not what Paul is talking about as righteousness of faith. That is also a fruit of it, is that the righteousness of faith is your forgiveness. And as a forgiven sinner, then God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit comes and indwells in you. The indwelling of God is a result of your justification, is a result of you being declared righteous. In our churches, it is acknowledged among the theologians of the Augsburg Confession that all our righteousness is to be sought outside the merits, works, virtues, and worthiness of ourselves and of all people. Our righteousness rests alone on Christ the Lord. Therefore, how Christ is called our righteousness in this manner of justification must be carefully considered. I mean that our righteousness rests not on one or the other nature in Christ, but on Christ's entire person, who as God and man is our righteousness in his only entire and complete obedience. Even if Christ had been conceived and born without sin by the Holy Spirit and had fulfilled all righteousness in his human nature alone, and yet had been true and eternal God, this obedience and suffering of his human nature could not be credited to us for righteousness. Also, if God's Son had not become man, the divine nature alone could not be our righteousness. Therefore, we believe, teach, and confess that the entire obedience of Christ's entire person, which he has offered to the Father for us, even to his most humiliating death on the cross, is credited to us for righteousness. For the human nature alone, without the divine, could not by obedience or suffering make satisfaction to eternal Almighty God for the sins of all the world. However, the divinity alone, without the humanity, could not mediate between God and us. It can't be either or with Christ. It is both and. It is God and man whose obedience is given to us. It is God and man whose death redeems all of creation. Because man by himself could not do it. God by himself could not do it. Because there would be no mediation. There would be no gifting of that to us as men if it were just God the Son up there on the cross and not also the Son of Man. Picking up in paragraph 57. As mentioned above, the obedience not only of one nature, but of the entire person is a complete satisfaction and atonement for the human race. By this obedience, God's eternal, unchangeable righteousness revealed in the law has been satisfied. So our righteousness benefits us before God and is revealed in the gospel. Faith relies on this before God, which God credits to faith, as it is written in Romans 5.19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And then in 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. Neither Christ divine nor human nature by itself is credited to us for righteousness, but only the obedience of the person who is at the same time God and man. And faith thus values Christ's person because it is made under the law, Galatians 4, 4, for us and bore our sins. And in his going to the Father, he offered to his heavenly Father for us poor sinners his entire complete obedience. This extends from his holy birth even unto death. In this way, he has covered all our disobedience, which dwells in our nature and its thoughts, words, and works. So disobedience is not charged against us for condemnation. It is pardoned and forgiven out of pure grace alone, for Christ's sake. In these last few paragraphs, we have the negative statements of which we must reject and condemn these errors. 
We unanimously reject and condemn, besides the above mentioned, the following and all similar errors as contrary to God's word, the doctrine of the prophets and apostles, and our Christian faith. 1. When it is taught that Christ is our righteousness before God according to his divine nature alone. 2. That Christ is our righteousness according to his human nature alone. 3. In the passages from the prophets and apostles, when the righteousness of faith is spoken of, the words justify and to be justified do not mean to declare free from sin and to receive the forgiveness of sin, but they mean actual and real righteousness because of love infused by the Holy Spirit, virtues, and the works following from it. 4. Faith looks not only to Christ's obedience, but also to his divine nature as it dwells and works in us. By this indwelling, our sins are covered by before God. 5. Faith is the kind of trust in Christ's obedience that can be and remain in a person even though he has no genuine repentance, even though no love follows, but he continues in sins against his conscience. 6. God does not dwell in believers, only God's gifts dwell in them. These and similar errors, one and all, we unanimously reject as contrary to God's clear word. By God's grace, we abide firmly and constantly in the doctrine of the righteousness of faith before God, as it is embodied, expounded, and proven from God's word in the Augsburg Confession and the apology issued from it. Concerning what is further needed for the proper explanation of this profound and chief article of justification before God, upon which depends the, the salvation of our souls, we direct readers to another document. For the sake of brevity, we refer everyone to Dr. Luther's beautiful and glorious commentary on the epistle of St. Paul to the Galatians from 1535. All right, these are the things that we reject and condemn, and we've talked about them plenty enough. The reminder that it is not as man alone or as God alone that Christ is our righteousness, but by both, and that it is justification by faith. There is nothing else involved with it. There is no infused grace, no infused love, no works that be before, during, or after. Or that faith is this kind of trust in Christ's obedience that can also be with mortal sin. You cannot truly call yourself a Christian if you continue to follow after the sins of your flesh without really any regard to what it is that you're doing and you breaking of God's commandments. You cannot have a living faith when you are dead in your sins. James tells us that as well. All right, that is it for the righteousness of faith before God. Again, if you would like to delve in more, as the Formula of Concord says, you are more than welcome to look at Luther's great commentary on the Epistle to the Galatians. It is a massive work that is truly uh, what many people consider one of his best writings ever, which is one of the reasons why many take Galatians to be their favorite epistle, because there is such great worth in it. And Luther brings that out very well in his commentary. But for those of you who don't want to spend the time in reading, I'm not even sure how many hundreds of pages that Luther wrote on Galatians, go back and just read the epistle to the Galatians and see what Paul has to say. If you have the Lutheran Study Bible, look through the notes as well. They will also provide you with a lot of good things to think about, especially as we consider our righteousness before God. Because that is one of the biggest things we wrestle with in this life, is how can we 
say that we are children of God if we don't act like it. Well, we are children of God because God tells us that we are his children. He has declared us righteous. Yes, we don't fulfill that righteousness at all times. Therefore, we come together. We confess our sins. We receive the absolution. And as especially the ending of the prayer and individual confession and absolution says, I desire to do better. There is that desire to be better. And that is the Holy Spirit prompting us through his indwelling to live out our righteousness, to be the people God has reclaimed us to be. And that is where we're going to go into next week, in the next couple of weeks, as we look at what is the doctrine of good works in the Lutheran Church. So I encourage you to be back next week as we continue this idea of what is a good work and can only Christians do good works. That is what we'll wrestle with next week. Until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton wishing God's richest blessings on you as you wrestle with the theologies around you this week. Amen.